if you bloggers self-organize and attach yourself like leeches to specific issues, corporations, organizations, challenges, whatever, you will be the intelligence minutemen of this century. There aren't enough guns to kill us all, and Halliburton can't build the jails fast enough to keep us down. Rakers is a board member for NARTH, the National Association for Research and Therapy of Homosexuality, a group that says it helps people with, quote, unwanted homosexual attractions. But Lucian also says for the trip to Madrid and London, he was to give Rakers what Lucian called sexual massages every day. He basically got excited. That was the whole case. So he wanted you to touch him? Well, yeah. This model says the bra with straps tied to plastic pots and a water hose with seedlings acting as a belt adds a contemporary touch. The bra fits much better than it looks. Bradley Byrne was a Democrat. Now he's a Republican. On the school board, Byrne supported teaching evolution, said evolution best explains the origin of life, even recently said the Bible is only partially true. Monday, May 17th, and you've got Oz in your ears, Radio Free Oz up on RadioFreeOz.com. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, our co-host, David Osman. Say, Peter, I just want to tell you who our sponsors are for this great big week on Radio Free Oz and RadioFreeOz.com. It includes U.S. Plus. We own the idea of America and the brand new U.S. Plus Platinum Plus card. It's so hard to say you won't want to spend it. Let's just move on then to uh, the good folks down at Low Glow Land. There's a low glow land at the end of every off-ramp, and of course you can eat at uh, hoof and mouth. <laughs> Our name says it all. There's Huckle Porky's Big Out Palace, double your ribs at half your price, and Anka Pharaoh's Firstborn Stores. We want you to heed the call to buy. And uh, they'll be with you all week. That's U.S. Plus. Oh, it's, it's so nice to have steady sponsors, you know. Yeah, really well, does. these are the steady ones. These are definitely the steady ones. I mean, U.S. Plus is. It, do you realize that U.S. Plus and uh, it's uh, the other two biggest banks in America, U.S. Plus and U.S. Plus, that the three of them, uh, entirely supported by the United States government, made uncountable billions of dollars in like the last twenty minutes. Well, you know, that's possibly the way we're going to get out of debt. <laughs> I is that see. I think the government has to buy all of these institutions like GM when they're falling, and then pump money into them, and then GM comes back and makes money and pays <laughs> off our debts. It's like, it's it's like a you know a, a socialist snake eating its own tail and throwing up more money. We've already reported on Arizona Governor Jan Brewer signing that bill last week that targets a school district's ethnic study program. Yeah. It seems she penned that very controversial bill just hours after a report by the United Nations human rights experts condemned the measure. What does she care? Arizona, United Nations. Hey. State schools chief, this is Arizona state schools chief Tom Horn, who has pushed the measure for years, said a Tucson school district program promotes ethnic chauvinism and racial resentment towards whites while segregating students by race. This is highly suspicious. I quote him, it's just like the old South and it's long past time that we prohibit it, Horn said. There's some hypocrisy here. There, I just smell it. It's that it's, it's that scent of Arizona hypocrisy that's been parched in the sun. The measure prohibits classes that advocate ethnic solidarity, hmm, that are designed primarily for students of a particular race or that promote resentment towards a certain ethnic group. It also prohibits classes that promote the overthrow of the U.S. government. Now, wait a minute. These are all in the same basket, basically. So if you want to promote ethnic solidarity... I mean, I suppose when I went to um, special Hebrew school in Cleveland, in which we learned to memorize long lists of famous Jews, okay, that's out. Uh, also designed primarily for students of a particular race, like teaching um, English as a second language or English courses for students who speak uh, almost primarily Spanish, that's out. Anything that promotes resentment towards a certain ethnic group. Now, I can understand that. But on the other hand, if you're just teaching the history of the United States, there is a lot of resentment towards certain ethnic groups. Well, that's out. And classes that promote the overthrow of the U.S. government. Last time I checked, 
Our founding fathers overthrew a government. It wasn't a U.S. government, but uh, it was a government nonetheless, and it was a government in place. Okay, well, there we go. So the Tucson Unified School District Program offers specialized courses in African-American, Mexican-American, and Native American studies that focus on history and literature and include information about the influence of a particular ethnic group. Well, boy, that that's dangerous stuff. I can see why Mr. Horn wanted to broom that immediate amante. For example, in the Mexican-American Studies program, an American history course explores the role of Hispanics in the Vietnam War. Well, the role, I think, is called cannon fodder. And there's a literature course that emphasizes Latino authors. Oh, my. Really? We're going to, reading Gabriel Marquez or, 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 or any of the greats, or maybe Cervantes. He's reading Cervantes. He wants to overthrow the government. He's promoting ethnic solidarity. This is insane. But, of course, the country's going insane. Horn said he believes the Mexican-American Studies program teaches Latino students that they are oppressed by white people. Now, go get my maid. She'll come here right now and tell everybody that I don't oppress her. Maybe. Public schools should not be encouraging students to resent a particular race, he said. This is so convoluted. I mean, this does have my shorts in a knot. A Republican running for attorney general, Horn has been trying to restrict the program ever since he learned that Hispanic um, civil rights activist Dolores Huerta in 2006 told students that Republicans hate Latinos. Well, maybe it's not that Republicans hate Latinos, although there's a good case to be made for that. Maybe it's just that Latinos don't like Republicans. One, two, three, four. Dirty day goes by Sirens wail The babies cry Hey Get me out of here A madman drives Down the dusty highway Screaming and yelling Get out of my way Hey Get me out of here Getting lost is a matter of fact If you can't find your way You'll never get back to no. know No, no, no There's a tattooed punk chick And a surfer dude Rollerblading trying to catch the groove Hey, get me out of here your money and you take your chances forget about all the cheesy romances hey get me out of here getting lost is a matter of fact if you can't find your way you'll never get back to no 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 on Highway 5 going north right now. Hey, 
You know, Harper's Index often has just the piece of information that we need at a moment like this. Hit me. Okay. Estimated cost to locate, process, and deport all illegal immigrants in the United States. Are you ready? Yeah. $285 billion. $285 billion. And and now, of course, there's going to be more. I mean, it's going to be more. Even though they're going to be building this wall, they're going to have to import all of those illegal aliens to build that wall. Oh, I forgot about that. So part. take that up to three hundred billion. Yeah, three hundred billion. Okay, round number up. Sure. That there you go. We just keep you know we just keep spending it. It's th- well, this, that's nothing. Don't we throw that away in Afghanistan like every week? Afghanistan, I understand, is becoming now officially more expensive than Iraq. It took a while, but of course things of you know are are winding down in Iraq. Winding down. <laughs> Now, people that aren't dressed as American soldiers can kill each other. And we're all over in Afghanistan. Oh, I tell you, I, 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 am, I am really, really upset with Barack Obama. Okay. You oh, know I'm a big fan. I know you're a big fan. A big is, fan this is of, big news. This, this is, big is news, but I've yeah. got to ream him a new perspective. All right, okay? all right. Look, I know Barack inherited the war in Afghanistan. He didn't start it. He didn't lie and get us into Iraq or anything like that. Yes, he got there. All right, fine. And and he can't wind it down overnight. I understand that, right? Even if that's his intent. But he is sponsoring state terrorism, using these drones, right, to kill people who look like militants, who act like guerrillas, to to drone them, to rocket them from drones, you know, be, f- using, using guys sitting in refrigerated trailers in Arizona and Las Vegas. That is state terrorism. He knows about it, and he's got to stop it. He's, he's a man of exquisite sensibilities. Why he is letting this go, I don't know. Perhaps, like Bill Clinton, he's a man who has had no military experience and therefore is cowed by his military advisors, particularly ones that are wearing all the fruit salad when they walk in to tell him what's happening. Right. You know, he also doesn't have a lot of background in the intelligence community. So I think it's difficult for him to figure out who's telling who the truth. I mean, it's not like George Bush Sr., who was head of the CIA, knew it was all lies and knew how to deal with it. But here he is, man. I tell you, Barack Obama, you've got to think about this again. You know, this is putting you in the W category, man. It's it's state terror. We are the terrorists in this case. It's easy to turn that around. And the reason that we are doing this is the same reason that me lie happened and the same reason that the Vietnamese were <clears throat> made into uh, short yellow people in black uniform, in black uh, Clothing. Oh, right? pajamas. Black pajamas. <clears throat> yeah, right. let's really get it right. As, as, if they're, as if they're going to, like, uh, win the war and then go to sleep. Yeah, or just have wake up to win war well, and then go up, back to sleep. Wake up, win war, go back to sleep. Yeah. yeah okay. So, <laughs> so th- this is a way of not dealing uh, even on a semi-personal basis with the people that you are killing. And it is indeed a, a, a very specific act of going out with a, a very large gun and whacking people. And if that isn't, I agree with you completely, that is state terrorism. We should not be whacking people. Why are we doing this? Because we cannot get to them any other way. We don't have this any, way. We don't have any what they call hume-int, which is human intelligence, i.e. we can't send somebody in from, you know, that studied Arabic or Pashtun at Colgate University and he can pretend to be Taliban. Can't do it, you know. No, and then, and then put a, a, a suitcase with explosives <laughs> under the desk, which then Hitler moves over by his, you know. Can't do that. And we can't, and we cannot actually br- hire anybody to do it inside Waziristan because everybody knows what everybody else is doing. And when they find out you took money from the Americans, they kill you. The amazing thing about the Afghanis is they can tell each other apart. They can. I can't. They can. Maybe it's different rugs. Maybe it's maybe it's a different brand of opium on their breath. I don't know what it is, but speaking they can. Speaking of opium, you know, about a third. I'm always speaking of opium, yes. <laughs> but not on it. About a third of the opium crop is, uh, is uh, vanished due to some dreadful illness in Afghanistan. They lost about a third of the crop, so they expect the prices are going to go up. Oh, man, you mean like like some sort of like, you know, they need Monsanto's, right, opium seeds that are impervious to all of those diseases. Just let's work it out. The, the peace jerga is coming up, and I'm sure all these guys sitting around with their, you know, in their tribal dress, 
talking their tribal languages, will come up with a tribal solution for this, which is if we just get money from America to keep growing more opium instead of having the Marines walk through our fields like klutzes, why, then we'll good. Monsanto, very good, very good. And then we can find a use for Halliburton. Hello, hello, I'm Ed Stiffner, the crazy commando, ordinance officer at the neighborhood survival gun store. Want to build up your small arms, Mr. and Mrs. Scary Cat Survivorite? Has your neighborhood become dangerous to live in because people with different names have moved next door? Well, you don't have to take it lying down, but if you are lying down, try our recoilless recliner designer rifle. You don't have to leave the cozy comfort of your bed to waste that rude intruder or strafe the friggin' rock and roll party across the street. Tell them how to find us, Fred. Uh, I don't know, man. Read the paper. Oh, the paper. Uh, concrete off the road Read tire. Read in the oh. paper. Neighborhood survival gun store is easy to find. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, uh, we're four flights below the ruins of the beautiful bunker building. Left face, 14 goose steps, and you're there. This week, try our survival is special. Yeah, that, that's the simple little kit we sell under the counter that converts your, your harmless 22 caliber starter pistol into a selective fire 50 millimeter armor piercing weapon system. It's a bitch. So shoot face and make friends later. Yeah. Set your sights on your neighborhood survival gun store. Ask for Ed or Fred Stiffner. That's us, the crazy commandos. Yeah, and you'll get free a life-size replica of the alabaster arrow of improbability. Uh, the weapon that saved or, uh, or did it destroy the ancient world, Fred? Well, I don't know. Ed. I, I wasn't there, you know? Hardly here. Yeah, well, no. That's not my choice. Don't get on my case. Well, it seems that the Federal Reserve is prepared, poised to help bail out all damn European governments that are going down to tubes, you know, the ones with the junk bonds. But the Obama administration is pushing back with a series of arguments that Americans won't be on the hook for the EU bailout, okay? So we're going to let those guys just go down on their own. That's because perhaps the only thing less popular in Washington than the U.S. troubled asset relief program bank bailout is the idea that Americans are going to come to the rescue of financially strapped Greeks who live this Mediterranean lifestyle and don't pay taxes. Now, quote, with Portugal, Spain, and perhaps others to follow in Greece's footsteps in the near future, this action shows the Obama administration is headed down a dangerous path of bailing out European countries at a time when we face our own debt crisis, said Indiana Republican Representative Mike Pence. I don't think he was paying attention to what the administration was saying, but of course, that's par for the course. You're just going to get a little soundbite out there. You know, it doesn't matter whether it purports to be true or false or in any way, you know, fits in with what's going on. Just get it out there and worry about the truth later. So the United States is actually involved in the European rescue in two ways. First, the International Monetary Fund, which is 17% financed by American taxpayers, says it is prepared to contribute up to $321 billion to the relief effort. What about the relief effort for American cities and the American forever unemployed? If, if we're paying 17% to the IMF to help bail out the Europeans, whom I love dearly, doesn't charity begin at home? There's enough problems at home right now. Yeah, look, Greece has to take care of itself. Generally, the IMF says it will require countries receiving assistance to enact stringent deficit-fighting measures, which would force nations such as Portugal and Spain that might be next in line for assistance to undergo bruising internal political fights to rein in their social spending in exchange for the aid. Well, that's certainly not an American uh method of operation because, of course, we want everything without paying taxes. The idea of austerity, well, that's good for the other guy. That's good for all them soft Europeans who are spending time drinking wine instead of standing in line for their uninsurance benefits. Okay, here's the second thing the Federal Reserve is going to do. They've reopened so-called swap lines that allow it to lend dollars to the European Central Bank in exchange for euros, which help pump dollars into the EU economy. Yeah, right. That's great. We're buying euros as they're plummeting, right? And the European Central Bank has just offered a trillion dollars to pull Greece Greece's fat out of the fire, okay? So uh, that's fine, you know? That's just fine with the Fed. It's not fine with the American people. It's complicated. But here's the thing. The Fed isn't going to be able to make those kind of autonomous decisions anymore now that they've passed a bill in the Senate that allows us to audit them, okay? 
Senate has approved an amendment to the Wall Street Reform Bill that would order a one-time audit of the Federal Reserve if the underlying legislation passes, which it appears it will. The amendment, which passed 96 to 0, really, with overwhelming bipartisan support, was the product of a deal brokered last week by sponsor Senator Bernie Saunders, Democrat, actually Socialist of Vermont, and Banking Committee Chairman Chris Dodd, who hopes to keep his senatorship. He's in trouble in Connecticut. And that's to make the provision acceptable to the White House that they made it a one-time audit. But yeah, once the Fed foot is in the door. (laughs) Saunders' modified language sets a firm time window for the review of the Fed. Okay, it's from December 1st, 2007 to the day the legislation is signed into law and restricts the Government Accountability Office from looking into the Fed's decision-making on interest rates. So that little secret cabal, the guys with the big cigars and the, you know, gray goose martinis that disappear into this little like padded cell and come out and say, interest rates are up, even down. They probably play Yahtzee or something like that to figure it out. That's how much sense it makes. We can't go in that room, but we can take a look at everything they've done since December 1st, 2007, like give vast amounts of money to unnamed people for unnamed problems. It's going to be very interesting. Quote, the Sanders Amendment makes it clear that the Fed can no longer operate in the kind of secrecy that it has operated in forever. This is what Sanders said on the floor before the vote. He said, under the Sanders Amendment for the first time, the American people will know exactly who received over $2 trillion in zero or virtually zero interest loans from the Fed, and they will know the exact terms of those financial arrangements. Well, I want to start right now. I want to make the process simpler. I have not, since December of 2007, received any zero or virtually zero interest loans from the Federal Reserve. Strike me off the suspect list. Well, okay, this review of the uh, revival of promises, promises in Newsweek, uh, on the Newsweek website, actually, by Ramin Setude, asking the question, can that heterosexual actors play gay all the time, why doesn't it ever work in reverse? This is his question. That's not my statement. Here's the review, okay? Okay. The reviews for the Broadway revival of promises, promises were negative enough, even though most of the critics ignored the real problem, the big pink elephant in the room. The leading man of this musical romantic comedy is supposed to be a single advertising peon named Chuck who is madly in love with a co-worker, in this case played by Kristen Chenoweth. When the play opened at Broadway in 1968, Jerry Orbach, an actor with enough macho swagger to later fuel years and years of law and order, was the star. The revival hands the lead over to Sean Hayes, best known as the Queenie Jack of Will and Grace. Hayes is among Hollywood's best-known slapstickers, but his sexual orientation is part of who he is and also part of his charm. The fact that he only came out of the closet just before Promises was another one of those Ricky Martin duh moments, whatever he means by Ricky Martin duh. But frankly, it's weird seeing Hayes play straight. He comes off as wooden and insincere like he's trying to hide something, which of course he is. Even the play's most hilarious scene when Chuck tries to pick up a drunk woman at a bar devolves into unintentional camp. Uh, You know, as a child, I think I went to unintentional camp. It is funny because of all the 60s-era one-liners. Is it funny because of all the 60s-era one-liners or because the woman is so drunk and clueless that she agrees to go home with a guy we all know is gay? Well, there's a response. Well, there's – yeah. So Kristen Chenoweth, she got after this guy, uh, whoever his name is, whatever that name is that you said. Uh, She writes – yeah, I said wooden and insincere, trying to hide the pink elephant, the big pink elephant in the the room. room. I'm worried about that metaphor. No, but but, this guy – this guy's sitting at night probably playing with himself to come up with metaphors. Playing with his metaphor. Uh, She wrote, bless her. This article offends me because I am a human being, a woman, and a Christian. For example, there was a time when Jewish actors had to change their names because anti-Semites thought that no Jew could convincingly play Gentile. Okay. She, give, yeah. yeah. Give me give me the name of one of them. I, uh, who, who's a Jew that had to change his name? Like order, Edward G. Robinson? Yes, right. Right yeah. off the top of right, my head. Right off the bed. And, and the other one, what's his name that played Golden Boy? Yeah, was in yeah. The, uh, um, I'll think of it. Anyway, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, they did. Indeed, they did. Uh, and she wrote, audiences aren't giving a darn. She's a sweet lady, and she's a woman and a Christian. Aren't, audiences aren't giving a darn about who a person is sleeping with or his personal life. Give me a break, she says. We're actors first, whether we're playing prostitutes, baseball players, or the Lion King. So, so 
prostitutes, whoa, whoa. baseball players, and the Lion King. It's, she's got a metaphor thing going too. What a basket in her head. I guess so. So that's so promises, promises. It's uh, yeah. it's going on on Broadway. People are going to see this guy. They're going to see this guy because it's, he's a television star, right? And they uh, liked I, him on television, and he is a good slapstick. Artist. And so he plays a gay guy on television. So I mean, what? So, so he's come out of the closet. So he's so a what? real gay guy. So do we really care about that? I don't care. Of course, I don't. I don't watch enough television or go to enough lame revivals to really well, make it a the, point. Here's in my the life. thing. Here's the thing. The reviewer couldn't see through what is indeed an incredible prejudice yeah. because he did see this giant pink elephant coming on stage whenever this actor come came on stage. This is a serious. A metaphorical problem. Well, here's the thing. Remember with Wreckers, the 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 big uh, anti-gay Christian who they found out was gay after all, and, right. and, and, and was in line with these experiments where, where they took homophobic heterosexuals and non-homophobic heterosexuals and showed them uh, male gay porn, and the homophobic uh, so-called straight men had the erectile reaction. So maybe this reviewer. Is having the same problem. You know, it, it it is it it does seem to be easy as a straight actor playing a gay guy, which I do all the time with Phil Proctor as uh, as Hal and Ray, the two news guys, and the aggressive gay guy at that. I find no problem w- w- doing that at all. Maybe that's what they're saying. Heterosexual guys can play gay guys more easily than the other way around. That's just come on, full crap. I all mean, right. you know, yeah. I mean, can I put on drag as I do with a fireside and play a woman more easily than a woman can put on male clothing and play a man? <laughs> let's not even go there. And let's sell Newsweek. Well, excuse me, but I think you've got my chair. There's a dress code here and you'll have to buy a beer if you want to stand up there. There's a cover charge and it's rather large. So if you plan to stay, check your coat for a fee and then talk to me when you're ready to pay because it's my country from sea to shining sea. Most everything's expensive and there ain't nothing free. Yes, it's my country. Most things just aren't allowed. Well, I may have just got here yesterday, but it's my country now. Well, the natives, they didn't own the land. It was all just going to waste. So, finders keepers is the motto of my race. For one whole generation, my family's been working hard. So when those immigrants come a-knocking, I say, not in my backyard. Because it's my country, from sea to shining sea. Most everything has fences. There ain't nothing free, yes, it's my country. Most things just aren't allowed. Well, I may just got here yesterday, but it's my country now. Uh, no, uh, you can't come in. No, you need a special pass. I'm, I'm sorry, that requires exclusive certification. I don't care who you know. No, there are no exceptions. Just fill out these forms and make an appointment. No, we'll call you. I'm sorry, you're taking up space in line. Can't you read the signs? Because it's my country. From sea to shining sea. Most everything pays taxes. And there ain't nothing free. Yes, it's my country and most things just aren't allowed well i may have just got here yesterday and i wiped out everything in my way and i own it now and i'm here to stay because it's my country now Well, it seems the Congress is finally taking care of financial business. Things have been really loosey-goosey for a long time. 
Basically, it started with the Reagan administration, but it wasn't just the Republicans. That Mr. Clinton, whom I had such high regard for, from whom I now have moderate regard, gave away an awful lot to the corporations and ran a very corporate foreign policy. I was reading this book called Ghost Wars about uh, American involvement in Afghanistan. And there's this whole section of the American State Department coming to Afghanistan and talking about how good it's going to be when they have lots of American corporations there making things modern and good and putting in pipelines and building underground schools or whatever they were doing, you know. So it was all corporate good corporate good. I think that's because Bill Clinton grew up poor. And I think he's always been impressed by people with big things and lots of money. Just a guess. But anyway, so, and of course, under the bushes, things just went really squiggly. Money was being given away here and there. And then, of course, there's the Goldman Sachs of crap, uh, Lehman and Waite brothers scandal, the fact that all the moral authority on Wall Street has been shorted entirely. So finally, Now that our financial center is losing its moral authority and falling apart, maybe it's time to take a look at what the heck is going on there on Wall Street. Well, at just about every stage of the Senate's financial reform process, this is from the gray lady, the changes to this bill have tended towards the left, and they may well be borne out again if, a, if the Democrats successfully add a provision of the bill that will, along with other things, ban big banks from using their own capital to engage in market speculation. Well, that makes common sense, doesn't it? Well, the provision is called the Volcker Rule. Remember him, the, the former Fred, Fed head who was like six foot eight? Okay. He now heads President Obama's Economic Recovery Advisory Board. Currently, two Democratic senators, Carl Levin, I love Carl Levin, he was the one that kept pushing the shitty deal metaphor back on Mr. Sparks, who was head of the mortgage section of Goldman Sachs of crap. I just love Carl Levin. And uh, Jeff Merkley, they're pushing to add the rule to the Wall Street reform legislation and have built up quite a head of steam. The Volcker Rule has the support of the Obama administration and the Senate banking chair, Chris Dodd, and stands a good chance of passing, particularly if it's held to a majority vote threshold. I mean, if they if they have to go for the Super 60, which doesn't make any sense at all, then the Blue Dogs and the Republicans, the NOP, can probably stop it for a while until the American public becomes so outraged that they have to change their mind. Now, there's a large appetite in the Senate for putting downward pressure on the size of big financial firms and the risk they pose to the economy. And the tricks for the Democrats thus far has been figuring out how to accomplish this without running afoul of the administration, which has drawn some bright lines over the issue. The Obama administration is very conservative on Wall Street. Uh, it's true that you can't change that place overnight. And it's good to have this leftward pressure on Obama, who is a true centrist. But uh, basically, you know, the, the, the buck changing, the buck reforming pretty much stops there. That doesn't mean progressives are getting um, everything they want. They obviously didn't um, uh, get by the too-big-to-fail statute. And though some would like it, they're unlikely to reinstate Depression-era rules, segregating banks from other financial institutions. And that is a damn shame. We're talking talking about the New Deal Act called the Glass-Steagall Act, which separated banks from investment houses. We've got to get that done. Otherwise, those foxes are going to be running around eating chickens in everybody's hen house. You know, we did a piece recently, uh, a, a very funny piece that David wrote called uh, Exorcism in Your Daily Life, Derivatives, which is a form the Firesign Theater has been using from the very beginning, Exorcism in Your Daily Life. And part of it, we go to visit Farmer, whatever his name was. Well, Brown. Farmer Brown. They're all Farmer Brown. And he explains that, uh, you know, you can go long and short on all kinds of commodities, but the one thing by federal law that you can't bet on, right, go long or short, is onions. And uh, we got hundreds of calls from people saying (laughs) that can't possibly be true. That I mean, you guys are so far out. Well, however weird and surrealist you think that might be, it is absolutely true. Uh, an op-ed column in the New York Times by Felix Salmon, and this is the beginning of the column. This is where I got the idea. Okay. In the 1950s, he writes, onion growers were often shocked at the low prices they were getting. Casting around for a villain to blame, they alighted on derivatives traders, and they persuaded Congress to ban any futures trading in onions. Today, onions are the only commodity for which futures trading is banned. 
Not coincidentally, onion prices remain extremely volatile. They doubled in 2008 and then fell by 25% in 2009. Today, no one is silly enough to ask a member of Congress to simply outlaw futures trading in a certain type of contract. No one, that is, except Hollywood film producers. Under the proposed financial reform legislation making its way through the Senate, the bit of the 1958 bill saying, except onions, would be amended to read, except onions and motion picture box office receipts. <laughs> you, you, mean, you mean there is a market in going short and long on box office receipts? Because I could make a fortune, man. I can take a look at some of those things. I know, I know where the bombs are. I know where the bombs are buried. You can smell the stink off some of those movies. You know, for years, I did trailers for major motion pictures. And you could take one look at the first five seconds of whatever I had to deal with and know where the bombs were. Back when I worked for uh, ABC Television, and uh, they would have they would preview things. They'd get these uh, audiences, you know, a couple of hundred people at a shopping center or something, and they'd all come, you know, wow, we're going to go to Hollywood, get to see the previews, and show them incredible junk. And you, I remember one that was so bad, they had only shot three episodes of it. They showed one of them, and of course, it never even got on the air. And any executive, even the really stupid ones, could have told that this was a crap. It was not ever going to go on the air. But there, they made it. They paid, what, cost $50,000 an episode or something. Throw away money. Uh, you don't need an audience to tell you if it's a piece of junk. If you don't know good from bad in this kind of business, sure, you can bet on it. You can bet on a a anything. That's the point. You can bet on anything except onions. onions. Oh, it's easy to look at the protesters and the politicians in Greece and at the other European countries with huge debts and wonder, why don't they get it? Yet, in the back of your mind comes this nagging question, how different really is the United States, 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 states? The, the numbers on our federal debt are becoming frighteningly familiar. The debt is projected to equal 140% of the gross domestic product within two decades. Hey, I'm becoming a teabagger! Add in the budget troubles of state governments, I mean, big time, and the true shortfall grows even larger. Greece's debt, by comparison, equals only 115% of its GDP today. Why, they seem financially conservative compared to where we're going. The United States will probably not face the same kind of crisis as Greece for all sorts of reasons, but the basic problem is the same. Both countries have a bigger government than they're paying for. And politicians, spendthrift as some may be, are not the main source of the problem. We, the people, are. Absolutely so. It is our problem, our responsibility. There really is no such thing as a government. It's just a gathering of people that we elect and elect them to appoint the rest. It's us. It's people. They represent the the state of our spiritual being. You know, if we want to get by and get more from less, then it's up to us to do that. We can't just wait for somebody to pass the more from less bill and have it filibustered and have it mediated and have it cut in half and have all those mumsers put the earmarks on it. No, it's, it, you have to start. I have to start. What am I doing? Talking to you. It's about me. Everybody's doing this one person at a time. I have to learn to get more from less if I want to bring down my own personal debt and my own personal contribution to the greater debt. All right, here's, here's why the people are responsible. We have not figured out the kind of government we want. That's probably one of the reasons that teabaggers are running around with those crazed pinball eyes, you know, wearing those revolutionary war hats and crying about how big the government is. The problem is they don't know what kind of government they want. They've just been convinced that somehow it isn't working and it isn't working because it's too big. No, it's not too big. It's just too bloody inefficient. All right. We're in favor of Medicare. One. 
Social Security, good, too. Good schools, love them. Wide highways, love to drive them. And a strong military. Well, I'm not so big about a strong military. I want a military strong enough to protect me against all those hordes of North Koreans and Iranians and Syrians and disaffected Chinese who are going to come at us at our shores. That's as strong as it gets. The, the rest, hey. Oh, and the other thing we love, the other big word, low taxes. So dealing with this disconnect that we want all of these goodies and don't want to pay for them, and that's where we stand today, that's going to be the central economic issue of the next decade in Europe, Japan, and here. I mean, a trillion dollars being pumped into Greece to keep it from falling. Japan just pumped their central bank, which means borrowing, just just put $20 billion into the economy to keep it from stagnating. And we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars to keep, you know, just corrupt insurance companies from falling and and Wall Street mumsers from having to jump from their buildings. You know, they went, during the big depression, these guys used to commit suicide by jumping from the buildings. That's why most of these um, corporate offices of the real mumsers are on the first floor. They just want to crawl out and run away. Okay, many people, including some who claim to be outraged by the deficit, still haven't acknowledged the disconnect between the yummy, yummy society and paying for it. Just last weekend, Tea Party members helped deny Senator Robert Bennett, the Utah Republican, his party's nomination for his re-election campaign, in part because he had co-sponsored a health reform plan with a Democratic senator. This is Robert Bennett, who had the most perfect conservative record in the Senate, had the temerity to sponsor a health reform plan that a Democratic senator had put his name on. The man's a traitor! Out! In effigy! Burn him, tar, feather him, do whatever necessary! Economists generally think the plan, this health reform plan, would have done more to reduce Medicare spending than the bill that passed. Uh Uh-huh. Who cares? So, whatever its intentions, the Tea Party effectively punished Mr. Bennett for not being a big enough fan of big government. It's that upside down, you know? Of course, the different fates of two parts of President Obama's agenda are on the line. Mr. Obama has unrealistically said that taxes do not need to rise on households making less than $250,000. And this position has come to be seen as ironclad now. Did he put it in a, did he put it in Gore's lockbox? Is that where it is with Social Security? He has also called, this is Obama, has called for billions of dollars in sensible cuts to agribusiness subsidies, tax loopholes, and the like. The news media and Congress have largely ignored these proposals. So here's the message is clear. Woe unto the politician in Washington, Athens, or London who tries to go beyond platitudes and show some actual fiscal restraint. Yep, Barack Obama, silly of him, right? Silly of him to look for realistic solutions. This is not time for realistic solutions. This is time for talking heads and people dressed up in revolutionary war. Outfit standing next to people with guns on their shoulders in camouflage. This situation obviously can't continue. Uh, Robert Greenstein, perhaps the leading liberal budget expert, knows the numbers well enough to understand that our Greece moment, whether it takes the form of a crisis or not, is coming. The Greece moment is coming. He says, most of the public thinks if only those darn politicians could get their act together to cut waste, fraud, and abuse, and to make tax avoidance go away and so on, uh, said Mr. Greenstein, that, that everything would be fine. But the bottom line is, there really is no avoiding the hard choices. But look, the main issue here isn't the near-term deficit, which we're struggling with anyone. You know, the one created by the recession, the wars in Iraq, that was the illegal war in Iraq, and the much-to-stay-there long war in Afghanistan, and the Bush tax cuts, which the Democrats just laid down and let happen, and the Obama stimulus. It really wasn't the Obama stimulus. It was the Bush stimulus, which uh, uh, you know, a bad bust that Obama had to jump on because he was foolish enough to be elected president of the United States. No, the main issue is the long-term deficit. As societies become richer, citizens tend to want better schools, better medical care, and other government services. This country is following that pattern, but without paying the necessary taxes. That combination has us on a course to grease-like debt. As a rough estimate, the government will need to find spending cuts and tax increases equal to 7 to 10 percent of the GDP. The longer we wait, the bigger the cuts we'll need because of the accumulating interest costs. 
7% of GDP is about a trillion dollars today. In concrete terms, Medicare's entire budget is only $450 billion. The combined budgets of education, energy, homeland security, justice, labor, uh, state, transportation, and veteran affairs department are less than $600 billion. So if you added that all together and got rid of Medicare and all those departments, you could save the trillion dollars you're looking for. So it's not a matter of whether we have the resources to solve our problems, said the chief economist of the Treasury Department. It's a matter of political will. Well, political will or not, I've got to give my props to Bill, to Bill Maher. You know, I have some issues with Bill Maher, but not when he stands up and says, hey, if you're not going to look at the military budget, you're not talking about budget cutting. You're not talking about being physically conservative and responsible. We got to look at it. Otherwise, we're just whistling in the wind. But if we truly cut the military budget, then we go back on the deal that was made after World War II, which is we are the only superpower. We are the only people that with a blue water Navy that can appear anywhere and keep the peace. And in exchange for spending all this money on this world police force, which is what we've been doing, you allow us to remain the country that prints the money without any bank backing. It's called fiat currency. Only the dollar is a, is a respected and, and, and sought after currency that has no backing whatsoever. So that's the deal. Now, if we're if we're willing to let the dollar float, that's what the Iranians tried to do when they set up that oil bourse, which was going to take baskets of any cash to buy oil, because the, the law today is if you want to buy oil, you have to buy oil in dollars. You have to convert your drachma, pesetas, yuan, you know, pounds, euros, whatever, Swiss francs into dollars if you want to buy some of that black sticky stuff. And that that's the deal. If we actually Put the military where, they, where it belongs, a small, compact defensive force. Maybe add some money to the UN defense force. Ooh, that's got people you know, spitting in their pants. Then maybe, maybe we could look at becoming fiscally responsible. Berserker who's prepared to die. 
See it again before I decide. Yeah. Well, whatever. The bus is over there if you don't want to go. Oh, you mean the bus that isn't going? Yeah. Oh, really. good. Well, I better not get on then. No, oh, I'm come on. Go. Follow come on. me. Let's go. Well, here we are, Pete, at the end of another show, so it's time for a poem. Absolutely. I think um, since we're, we have another woman who's uh, being investigated for her capability to be a Supreme Court justice, uh, I'm going to take you back to a found poem, What the President Said and When He Said It. September 18th, 1971. To play an awful long shot. Uh, is there a woman yet? Uh, that'd be a hell of a thing if we could do it. September 19th, 1971. Oh, I'm, I'm not for women in any job. I, I don't want any of them around. Thank God we don't have any in the cabinet. September 30th, 1971. Oh, so I lean to a woman only because, well, frankly, I think at this time, John, uh, we got to pick up every half a percentage point we can. Uh, I, I don't think a woman should be in any government job, whatever. I mean, I really don't. I mean, the reason why I do is mainly because they're erratic and, and emotional. Men are erratic and emotional, too, but <sighs> the point is a, a woman is more likely to be. Yo ho! Radio Free Oz, Oz in your ears today. Whole thing brought to you by RadioFreeOz.com. Here's the Oz team. John Cummings in charge of the ones and zeros, Phil Fountain. He's the man that runs the Oz Design Group and makes all those beautiful splash pages for us. Tom Gedwillow is our webmaster, and he's thickening the site as we speak. Dave Maloney runs Blue U Studios here and is our superb audio engineer. Bill McIntyre is our producer. David Osmond is the co-host, and I'm your host, Peter Bergman. See you all, or hear you all tomorrow.